Hey guys, it's Pastor Cliff, and I'm excited to welcome you to our Hope Alive Church podcast. Today, you're going to hear a word that's inspiring, that's encouraging. It'll definitely uplift you. Join us now. We're very blessed. And so, can y'all help me welcome Pastor Andy as he comes to bring the word tonight? Come on, let's really honor him tonight. And he's a Cowboys fan. So, that's how it goes. Well, well, so first off. How y'all doing? Y'all good? I hope you're well. You good? Perfect. So earlier I was in the back with Steph. Raise your hand, Steph. And so she said, I thought this was only Christmas movies. And I was like, whoa, calm down. Okay. If you are unfamiliar, Die Hard is the Christmas movie. Okay. Raise your hand if you agree. Okay, it's not enough, but I'll take it. It's not enough, but I will take it. I scrolled up somehow. Uh, I'm, guys, I'm, 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 really, um, I'm really honored and, and grateful to be here. This series is going to be great. I'm, I'm honored to be a part, and um, I'm looking forward to this evening. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I got your back. Look at your other neighbor and say, I got yours too. Nobody told me, but okay. So let's just clear the air real quick. Die Hard is a Christmas movie, okay? It checks all the boxes, okay? Some people may see it a little different, but it does check all the boxes. We're going to go through them really quickly, okay? So the movie takes place in Christmas time. How many of you know that's important? Okay? I didn't, I didn't see much snow, but there's a little bit at the end. It takes place at Christmas time. There's Christmas music. Say Christmas music. Raise your hand if you love you some Mariah Carey. Don't lie, you tried to hit that note in the car. You did, I know you did, because I did, I tried. No, I ain't the only one. The movie takes place, it starts out, one of the, one of the first scenes, it starts out at a Christmas party. Yes, we go to Christmas parties, that's what we do, right? It's just part of the year. Throughout the movie, there's this sprinkling in of Christmas carols, you know. Uh, they're walking back to the car, he's singing a Christmas carol. One of the guys, one of the, one of the villains is whistling one of these songs. That's really all I need, y'all. That counts. Are you with me? Are we in agreement? <laughs> somebody, somebody said no. Okay. Okay. So John McClane is the star of the movie, okay? So the opening scene of the movie, it shows him in a plane. Literally, they're descending down into a darkening world. I'm going to dramatize this for you a little bit. Okay, so descending down, he's uh, talking to a guy. The guy's, they're talking about like flight jitters and things like that. I hate flying, so I get it. So he's leaving a place as this 
I don't want to say big shot, but he's leaving this place of, of a New York City cop, okay, coming to L.A. to come and visit his wife at this Christmas party. Okay? Meaning, how many of you know if you leave, if you're a cop in New York, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a cop in L.A. Okay, so he's leaving a place of authority into a place where he has none. Right? Okay? He's in a place of vulnerability. Am I making sense? Does that sound a little familiar? I think maybe the uh, writers had something. Somebody was reading their Bible. Speaking of Bibles, put yours in the air. We're getting better, y'all. We're getting better. I love it. So a visit to his wife at a Christmas party turns out to be a story of chaos. And outnumbered and outgunned, he fights his way, you know, from literally the top floor to the bottom. But here's the thing. He never gives up. Say it with me. He never gives up. Remember that. With the help of Officer Powell being his eyes and ears on the outside of the building, he makes it through. By the end of the film, the hero returns from the death Captives are set free, the thief is thrown down, and the beloved and the hero are reunited. Back together again under one name. Sound cool? There's two points I want to make real quick in this movie. Mr. McLean sat uh, watching while Officer Powell, this is at the beginning of the movie, okay? Officer Powell, would you put up Mr. Powell? See, this is Officer Powell right here. I don't know if y'all recognize this family. The, in the movie, it mentions that his, uh, his wife was pregnant. I'm assuming he's probably, probably pregnant with, with, with Judy down at the bottom. She's the youngest. Raise your hand if you're too young for that show. Take it down. So anyway, he pulls up, to, pulls up on the scene. He goes up from the outside of the building. Everything looks clear, calm. Everything looks good. So he pulls up anyway. He kind of scopes the building a little bit. And then he decides, I'm going to go inside and have a look. He goes inside. Um, all of the action is happening, you know, 30-something floors up. But on the first floor, everything looks cool. Everything looks good. So he goes and he talks to the guy, you know, at the front desk there. Decides, you know what, I'm going to have a look around. Walks a little bit down the hall. Says, you know what, we're good here. Turns around and goes to leave. Gets in his car the whole time John McClane is 30-something floors up and he's beating on the glass. How many of you have ever been here? Beating on the glass, screaming, trying to get this man's attention. But he can't hear nothing, right? Your prayer lives ever feel this way? You're crying, screaming, beating, and you feel like you're getting nowhere? It's not the point of my message, but it just came to mind. So... Out of desperation, Mr. McLean breaks the window and launches a body that he had dispatched of out of the window, and it falls down, lands on top of the car, which sets off a fury of gunfire. This is the beginning of the action of the movie. Are you with me? Officer, Officer Powell had a chief. Okay, this is later on. He had a chief. He had a boss man, a supervisor. 
Okay, and this dude came, he came into the, into the game kind of late. He showed up and everything kind of had already popped off. And him not knowing the full scope of what was going on, he started making calls on, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But because he didn't know what was happening, those calls ended up getting people hurt. What's interesting, what's interesting though is Mr. McLean and Officer Powell went through the entire movie okay that scene that we just saw it's literally one of the last ones if you haven't seen the movie it's literally one of the last ones it's at the end of the movie they went through the entire movie cooperating with each other all by only knowing their their each other's voices they never saw each other right they never got to work together physically yeah without one another the mission completely would have failed we have, we have different perspectives when, when you watch this movie. There's Officer Powell's. We're just going to call him Powell because I'm tired of saying officer. You cool with that? So there's Powell's, uh, the Chiefs, McLean's, and then Holly's. Holly rhymes with Jolly. Anybody? Close enough? No? So from there, there's, there's different points of views. Powell couldn't go inside without risking his, his own life and then the lives of the hostages, right? There's about 30 hostages up there. Chief couldn't do the same thing, although he tried, and that's when people got hurt. Mr. McLean, McLean was stuck on the inside of the building, but not because he couldn't get out. It was because his wife was one of the hostages, and she was downstairs, so, you know, obviously he wanted to get to her. And then finally, finally, and I think most importantly, we have Holly's perspective. Holly was stuck with all of the hostages. Her boss had just been shot. He had just been killed. And so everybody that she was surrounded by was crying. They were sad. They were freaked out. From her point of view... All hope, was, all hope was lost until she got a glimpse of hope. And at that moment, at that small moment, the atmosphere began to shift. If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. I'm going to read this as quickly as I can without, you know, messing up all the words. When you're there, say, I got it. Yeah? All right, here we go. Verse 37 says, The power of the Lord, this is Ezekiel speaking, by the way. Um, the power of the Lord came on me. 
His spirit brought me away from my house. He put me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a huge number of bones in the valley. The bones were very dry. The Lord asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, Lord and King, you are the only one who knows. Verse four says, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones, tell them dry bones. Listen to the Lord's message. The Lord and King speaks to you. He said, I will put breath in you. Then you will come to life again. I will attach tendons to you. I will put flesh on you. I will cover you with skin so that so I will put breath in you and you will come to life again. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse seven says, so I prophesied just as the Lord commanded me to. As I was prophesying, I heard a noise. It was a rattling sound. The bones came together. One bone connected itself to another. I saw tendons and flesh appear on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, tell it. He said, tell it. Everybody say, tell it. Tell it. The Lord and King says, breath come from all four directions. Go into these people who have been killed. Then they can live. Verse 10 says, so I prophesied just as he commanded me. Just as he commanded me to. And breath entered them. Then they came to life again. They stood up on their feet. They were a huge army. Everybody say huge army. Then the Lord said to me, son of man, these bones stand up. These bones stand for all the people of Israel. The people say, the people say, our bones dried up. We've lost all hope. We are destroyed. So prophesy, tell them. He said, tell them. Are you with me? Tell them. The Lord in King says, my people, I'm going to open up your graves. I'm going to bring you out of them. I will take you back to the land of Israel. So I will open up your graves and bring you out of them. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You are my people. I'm going to say that again. You are my people. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I have spoken. I have done it, announces the Lord. Amen. So let's back up for a second. We have... We have Ezekiel, okay, and he's swept away to this place. Um, you you kind of have to put yourself in the position. The Bible describes it, you know, the bones and, and everything. But there's a, um, there's a feeling that comes along when you're in a place like this, right? So you ever, you ever, walked, into a, you ever walked into a room where maybe somebody has just passed? Or, or they're maybe about to pass. You ever been in that situation? You can walk in and almost immediately you can feel the heaviness in the room, right? And, and from that moment forward, it, it kind of, you really think before you talk. That's a bad time to tell a joke. It's a bad time to say a lot of things, right? 
So most times you just kind of walk in, you hug the family, and you just kind of sit and wait. There's nothing else to do. So the heaviness of where Ezekiel was made him reluctant to answer. When God asked him, son of man, can these bones, can, can these bones come to life again? Can, can, can we raise these bones up? He was like, only you know, you know, and instead of being confident, I think for a second he forgot who he was talking to. And so the confidence that came along with that should have been there all along, right? So the answer immediately should have been, yes, Lord, of course. But it wasn't. He said, only you know. So my question, my question for you this evening is when you, when you find yourselves in the middle of hopelessness, Death, stressful situations, heartbreak, loss, depression, anxiety. These are real problems, yes? So when you find yourself in the middle of one of these situations, what does your response look like? Think about it for a second. What does your response look like? Oftentimes, especially this time of year, families... Are, you know, they're coming into town. We've got all the plans, the Christmas parties, the, all the get-togethers, everything else that goes along with that, right? It's easy in those moments at that time, especially when you're the one that's throwing the invite out, saying, hey, come, you know, come to that. It's going to be a good time. It's easy in those moments to overlook those that are struggling, that are truly struggling. Some have this... this this excitement, you know, for Christmas. They can't wait. They can't wait for, you know, everything that comes along with it. You know, the, the programs and the, and the gift giving. And I'm not going to lie. Giving gifts is fun. It's, it's a good time. I love Christmas. Everything that comes along with it typically is a good time. I love when the time comes, comes around. But I can also recognize the fact that it's not like that for everybody. It's just not. Your perspective of everyone around you may be very similar to Powell's perspective. Meaning, if I, if I come to you and I tell Anthony I'm having a party, you know, at the house and, I, and we're having dinner and I, and I want you to come, it'd be real easy for me to miss, miss the mark. Sure, I, I extended the invite, but I missed, because from the outside, you... You made everything look, look okay. Everything from the outside, from the surface, on its surface, looks normal. It completely looks normal. Even if I dig a little deeper, like Pal did, he went inside. Even if I dig a little deeper, there's people in the room, there's people in my family, that if, it really doesn't matter how hard you, you dig, They've been doing this for so long that it's second nature. We're really, really good at hiding it. Would you agree? I believe that if... I'm willing to bet that if we asked, 
If I asked right now what your perspective looked like, and you were honest with yourselves, and I was honest with myself, I'm not excluding myself here, okay? But if you were honest with yourselves, and your perspective looked like Holly's perspective rather than Pal's, and I said, stand up in your chair if that's you. I'm betting that we're going to be surprised on how many people stand up. Truth be told. I could be 100% off on that, Jeff. But my heart is telling me that that's just not the case. I feel like, I feel like um, over the years, I've, I've, there's certain things that are, that are just easily recognizable uh, for some. I'm not going to say for all, but for some. And when you see hurt on people's face, especially when you've been through hurt, uh, when you see struggle on people's face, when you've gone through struggle, specific struggle I'm talking about. We're talking alcohol addiction, drug addiction, um, things like that. When you see that, either in the street, the store, the church building, it makes no difference. When you see it, it's like looking in the mirror. I've looked into those eyes before. I've seen what that looks like. I don't want a rabbit hole here, y'all, so I'm going to stick to my notes. Ezekiel, Ezekiel himself was a prophet. We know that, right? But what's often missed is that, you know, throughout the entire book, um, he's, he's prophesying the, a lot. Okay. What's often missed, though, is that the whole time that he's doing this, he's in captivity. And so um, the Babylonians, they, they took captives from Jerusalem in three stages. When they came through the first time, they attacked the city. They picked up Daniel, took him. Okay. The second time around, they came through. They attacked the city. This is when they got Ezekiel. They took him. They came in a third time and pretty much wiped it out. So that means that, well, Ezekiel mentions years within in the book. So in the last one that he, the last one that he mentions is the 27th year of captivity. He does mention 25 as well. So that means for 22, 24 years, Paul, that he was still preaching, still prophesying, even in captivity. Why is that important? Nobody? So, Ezekiel's unique to an extent. We all know that God is great at using people right where they are, for who they are, right? Um, in terms of the Bible, Ezekiel wasn't really that different in that way. He was another man that God used in the middle of a storm. But he turned everything around for him. Does that make sense? Yes. We see time and time again this happen. Okay. Um, there's Saul, Samson, David, Solomon, Matthew. Just to name a few. I was going to keep going, but I think you get the picture. Um, the... Book of Ezekiel, if we back up for a second, the book of Ezekiel itself is broke up into three sections. 
roughly. Okay, so the first major section of the book describes God's judgment on the nation of Judah because of its idolatry. Okay, second is God's judgment against the nation surrounding, surrounding Israel. And the third, the passage that I read from is where that's from. The third is where God speaks of the restoration of God's people. So restoration is where I kind of ran with. Restoration, the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. I'm going to read that again. Restoration is the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. So if we are to be restored, something has to be returned. For something to be returned, that means that at some point or another, we had to have it. Yes? Meaning that at some point, we had the joy, we had the peace, we had the happiness, we had love for other people, we had forgiveness, we had patience, we had kindness. Raise your hand if this is something, one of these things is something you struggle with. Because I can tell you, it's something that, that I struggle with. If I can be transparent, I, I get short-tempered with people. Believe it or not, I know that's hard to believe. I do, I get short-tempered with people. Uh, and then, you know, kindness and my happiness goes out the window. It's a struggle. Some people can pinpoint where these things happened. Maybe something happened in your life and, and you can pinpoint when you lost it. When your kindness and everything else went out the window. There's, um, I want you to write these down. There's, there's three keys that I have to getting this back. Ask me how to get it back. Okay. I'd say we try that again, but it's all good. So, number one. Everybody say number one. We have to change our perspective. Change your perspective. Perspective is huge. Holly's perspective shifted when she saw a small win. There was a small moment. Up to that point, everything... I'm just going to say it. Everything sucked up to that point. It just did. It was not, it wasn't a good time. But through this guy throwing a tantrum, she knew. And she took that small win. And from that point on, it was just a matter of time in her mind. In the same manner, your days, my days, our days are full of small wins. I want to say full, maybe they're not. Maybe it's just one or two in the day. We have to shift our focus into looking into the small wins. Because they're there. You can't tell me they're not. Number one is you woke up this morning. That's a good start, right? You woke up on the right side of the dirt. That's good. That's a win. Your family was in the house. If nothing else went right at work, nothing else Went right. The day was horrible. Your boss was a jerk. 
Somebody stole your lunch. You had a flat tire on the way in. Whatever else may have happened. You got pulled over on the way home. Everything just went bad. Every step of the day just went bad. Guess what? You had a home that you walked into. You had a family that smiled at you. You had kids that you had to yell at when you walked in the door. Okay? You had to start the belt ministry right off the bat. Don't play like I'm the only one. There are small wins throughout the day. There are things to be grateful for. There are opportunities for us to be grateful. We can choose the, uh, the, you know, the opposite if we want to. But I'm going to choose to look at the small wins. We have to stop focusing on the bad stuff. We have to. Shift. Yes? While we're here, I'm going to throw out a couple of misconceptions. I've, I've, oddly enough, I've, I've heard them both within the last couple of weeks. Number one is tragedy cannot come upon a faith-walking believer. Raise your hand if you believe that's true. It's false. I'm sorry. So if, if you have any questions about that, you can go read Job. I think that's the only one you need to read to answer that question. Um, he, he did everything right. Everything right. He was walking in faith. I mean, he was a walking, talking powerhouse for Christ. If that's you, if you are Job, you're doing everything right. You're, you're preaching the gospel on a daily. You got worship in the car. You're praying for your kids as you go. You worship before you leave the house. You keep an open dialogue with God all day. Everything in your spiritual life seems to be on point. You can almost guarantee that there's going to be a target on your back. Because strong-minded, God-fearing, holy rolling people of God scare the pants off the enemy. And he will do whatever he can to stop you. Whatever he can. And if he can't get to you, then you'll get to him. If you can't get to him, he just keeps going until he finds somebody. Jesus is stronger. He's faster. He's smarter. He loves harder bars. Anybody catch that? Tough one, I tell you. He never fails. Never fails. The second one is tragedy is a result of sin. I've heard some arguments on this one. I really have. Tragedy is a result of sin. I think the simplest way that I can put it is Jesus is not sitting in heaven waiting for people to mess up. I'm going to pick him off. If that were the case, y'all, we'd all be dead. Straight up. There's, there is uh, this, this misconception that, you know, that that happened to, that happened to you because, you know, you know, you had a beer last weekend and, you know, you got sick afterwards. That's what you get. No. Sorry. Tragedy either deepens your faith or it shapes it. Are you with me? It either deepens your faith or it shapes it. When tragedy strikes, once again, what is your response? Yeah? 
we've got to we've got to learn that the response um, has to be. It's my second point. If you're writing, the response has to be worship. It has to be. That's response one. Worship is a sincere form of prayer. And sometimes it's ugly. Don't act like you've never ugly cried in the altar. Don't play. Sometimes it's ugly. Second uh, Samuel. Second Samuel 12 and 20 says, Then David rose from the earth and washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. This is after his son died. He just lost a child. He was depressed the entire time the kid was sick. The kid dies. And what does he do? He freshens himself up, heads over, and he worships. Psalms 95 and 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, in John 4.21, but the hour is coming, it is now near, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. Stand to your feet with me. God hears your heart. Even when you don't have the words. You ever, you ever had, the, had those moments where you, where you come down um, to the altar and you really don't have, you don't know what to say. But yet, every emotion inside of you is blowing up. Every ounce of your being is wanting to crawl out of your skin. There is something that is taking place within your heart. At times it's unexplainable. We go deeper and we go deeper. And there's almost, it's not about songs and it's not about these eloquent words and Lord, let me, let me have this or bless this. There's nothing there. There is a spirit that is flowing through you in that moment. He hears your heart. My third point, last one. I said this earlier. Never give up. Never, never give up. Everybody say never give up. I've said it before and I'll keep saying it until I die. We don't back down. We don't. Romans 8.37. I absolutely love this. I've read it before. I believe that whenever I get, when I'm struggling, and I'm struggling spiritually, physically, when I feel like, when I feel like the struggle is real and it's heavy, when thoughts cross my mind that shouldn't cross my mind, 
I go back to this. It's highlighted in my Bible. I read it every time. Romans 8.37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors and gain an overwhelming victory through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present or threatening and threatening nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. I can't read that and not get hyped up. I can't read that and still believe the lies that are being put in my brain, the the lies that I'm telling myself. I can't read that and believe that I can't do the things that I've set my mind to. That's a page I'm not willing to tear out my Bible. I believe it. I'm going to live it. We have a right. Everybody say a right. I have a right to walk in this victory. It's not always pretty. And sometimes it downright hurts. But we have to walk through it and able to receive it. You may have come into what God has for you. You may have stepped into that role. But have you truly possessed it? Have you have you truly possessed it? We're good at looking the part. This could be a lot of things in your life, right? This could be a position at work. This could be a position here amongst the family. This could be anywhere but specifically I'm going to put it bluntly specifically there are people that have walked into this room week in week out showed up on time left when everybody else did maybe went eight with everybody else was part of the group really good at playing the part walking walking the part but have you truly possessed it? Not this building, not, not, my, not Pastor Cliff, but what it is that we came for. This, this Jesus that we talk about day in and day out. I know that it's a name that you know. I know that, I know that, that, you've, that you've read you know, some in here, and you may have read the things that he's done for you. But if there's not a relationship with what's in this book, if there's not a relationship with Jesus, then I hate to tell you, but this is just a book that is resting on your nightstand. And you are just playing a part in this mass thing we got going on here looking it all the while 
there is brokenness inside you. And you feel like, you feel like you can't tell anybody about it. You feel like you'd ruin the mood if you, if you were the one that brought that up. You can't walk in victory and in bitterness at the same time. You just can't. Forgive them. Christmas is, I was thinking about this earlier, Christmas is the one time of year where the city is in unity. Churches are in unity. You drive around and you see all these displays and these uh, these mangers and these setups, right? These, I know you've seen them, you know, the wise men and they want you to know like we want you to know that the reason for the season is Jesus, period. It's simple. Bitterness puts a strain on your relationships. It causes you to live with this victim mentality. It affects your physical and your emotional state. Forgive them. Forgive yourselves. If I'm talking to you with that last one, Our prayer team is coming. If I'm talking to you, I want you to come. There is power in agreement. This time of year is is rough. For some, it's financial. For some, it's family. But... For some, in your eyes, the the holidays will never be the same because that person that was at the end of the table is gone. The person that was on on the couch in the living room or standing out front, they're not there no more. And now you've lost hope. If that's your family, I want you to come. If you are looking for restoration, there's that word again, restoration. If you are looking for restoration for your family, for your marriage, for your friendships, for your heart, for yourself, I'm not hoping for nothing. I'm going to challenge you. If your pride is keeping you in that chair and you are willing to keep on going, you are willing to keep on fighting this unwinnable battle, 
for the sake of pride? I'm going to say it bluntly again. That's on you. Because the answer is here tonight. The answer has been here. I challenge you to swallow that pride and get out your chair and declare it. You can't filter your prayers. You have got to admit to what it is that you are struggling with. I'm going to pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this evening. King Jesus, you are welcome in this place, sir. We love you. We thank you for being the restorer and the redeemer that you are. We thank you for everything that you've provided in this place tonight, Father God. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells in this place, Lord. We thank you for this, for the breakthrough that is happening this evening, Lord. We love you, Father God. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that that message inspired you. I hope it challenged you. Most of all, I hope it made an eternal impact on you. If we can pray for you, if we can serve you, let us know. Follow us on social media. Download our app in the App Store. I promise you, we want to stay connected to you. Have a great day and don't forget to keep hope.